welcome everyone to Fringes of the Faith, a podcast about the strange and weird stuff, but also about the controversial stuff. I'm Paul Henderson, administrative pastor at Capstone Church here in Fort Worth, Texas, and sitting next to me is Parky Coburn, our senior pastor. How are you today? Well, you know what? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, but you know what? It seems like every time I turn the news on, there's a story about Black Lives Matter or okay. critical race theory or something called Project 1619. Okay, yeah, that's, you know, there's a lot going around about all those right now. And so I know a little bit about Black Lives Matter and I right. research, you know, critical race theory because we had Timothy Boyd on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, you did, sure did. Talking about it. But what I wasn't very familiar with is this Project 1619. I mean, I've heard a lot of chatter about how it's going to, how it's trying to rewrite our history or, or divide the country into white and black and claim that America was founded on racism and that it's complete fiction. I've heard all those things. So I decided, well, I'm going to research it. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down to the truth. What is Project 1619? And I got to tell you, it took a lot of digging to get down to the actual project beyond the surface and mm-hmm. what it really is and what it really is all about. So today I thought we'd talk about it okay, and hopefully shed some truth and some light into it. Okay, from a biblical perspective, because that's truth, yes. right? Yes. A biblical perspective. So one of the first things I noticed when I Googled Project 1619 was a search result that hit on project1619.org. And what immediately caught my eye is the tagline that they used uh, on this on their ad, I guess. It says, Project 1619 Inc. is intent on telling our story, not his story. Interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting tagline. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on their website, and I found out something that is also interesting, that there seems to be a lot of disagreement about what Project 1619 really is. Yeah, I think a lot of people are confused about it. So what I found is a New York Times article that was published in August 2019, and it was comprised of various essays uh, written by different authors describing this so-called unknown truth behind America's founding. Okay. And this article attracted widespread attention it's the New York Times, so of course you're gonna, it's going to attract attention. It basically tells the story of the first 20 or so enslaved African Americans that were kidnapped from their homeland, mm-hmm. and they were forced over here to the pre-United States colonies where they were put under slavery, they were beaten, they were tortured, and oftentimes they were murdered. And the article is described by the New York Times as seeking to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. And I thought, wow. So we're going to place something other than God into the center of our national narrative. I thought that was kind of interesting, an interesting take. Now, I know what they're trying to say. Right. um, But I think that seems to be the problem that we have in our country is We've removed God out of not only the center of everything, we've taken him out completely. Well, there are a lot of problems in our country. Of course, we know it's not a perfect place by any stretch of the imagination. Never will be. Never has been. Never will be, I guess I should say. But um, 
what's what's kind of frustrating, uh, you know, and once this podcast goes out to everyone, of course, you know, the Uvalde shooting here in Texas mm-hmm. has happened yeah. and, and that very painful experience. But to listen to the rhetoric about what we think is going to fix our problems can be a little bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. I know we need to, to definitely work on some things here and there. There are some things that could be addressed. But um, my despair is in the fact that we are not talking at all uh, very much about the matters of the heart. Right. And uh, we, we must address those matters or anything we'll do is not solving the real core issue on, on several of these, of these things that uh, are affecting our nation right now. But yeah, and, and you've heard it said, you know, you can't legislate the heart. You can't legislate the heart. Yeah. Only God has uh, uh, can, can change the heart of man. And uh, you can't legislate change in the heart. And so uh, while we're a land of freedoms where people can believe uh, whatever they want to believe, uh, we, we do uh, need to back up because if we're going to have real liberty, real freedom without fear, then we're going to have to uh, begin to realize that uh, people's hearts are going to have to have certain truths within them mm-hmm. that we all value. Mm-hmm. Or if we don't, then we're just going to be living in a, in a chaotic society. And there won't be enough constraints that we'll be able to put on, put in place in our society to stop evil, because evil is a law-breaking uh, entity by nature. Yes, it is. And so another interesting part about the way the New York Times described this article is it says that they are seeking to reframe the country's history. So why, if there were something wrong with the country's history, wouldn't it be to correct the country's history rather than reframe it? Yeah. Uh, and once again, that could be uh, an incorrect use of a term, but yeah. You're right. Correct would be what you would say. Reframe, uh, you know, that has some negative connotations to me because it's like, okay, we're going to rewrite it in a way that's more palatable uh, to us or to a certain to certain people. Correct. You know, that's you know, that's correct errors. That's different. It is different. I think when I think the word reframe, I, I think of spin. Yeah, it just it's kind of a connotation of spinning something. So right. anyway, one of these authors of one of the essays in this article says very directly that quote our democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. Black Americans have fought to make them true. End quote. So I think that's part of that reframing that we that they mean. Because when you say that the democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. And black Americans have fought to make them true. I'm not questioning that at all. I know that they have. Um, but what are they making true? The things that were written. So does that make mm-hmm. the written things false or does it make the written things true if other people have had to fight to make them true? You know what? I'll be, I'll just tell what I think about some of this is that I understand what they're saying there mm-hmm. because, uh, what was written down 
was uh, the ideal of, of what we wanted America to be. Mm-hmm. Even from the very founding, it, it didn't hit all of those. No, it didn't. All of those ideals. Mm-hmm. It didn't. And our founders themselves, if you really go back and you really study what they went through, they knew it didn't. Right. They knew that there were issues, not all of them, not all of them. I mean, it was divided. There were, there were different ways of thinking about certain things, especially slavery and its place in the nation. And the founders uh, wrote those, you know, our, the ideals of what America was to be. Mm-hmm. And I'll be, I'll be the first one to admit, it, it didn't meet all those ideals. No. In the very beginning. In some ways, it still doesn't. No. It, in some ways. And it's kind of like the Bible. Yeah. And please don't, I'm not saying our founding documents are the Bible. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it's kind of like the Bible. We have a written ideal there of what of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the way the kingdom of God operates. This is the way it looks, uh, not just in behavior, but in, but in attitude, mm-hmm. in motive. And we are a part of that kingdom, but you and I know, and our listeners know, that sometimes we fall short of that. No sure. excuses for that, but we're all still growing into that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what they proposed at the very beginning for our nation uh, was an ideal, and a lot of that was drawn from the Bible. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was was an ideal that we are still, to this day, working to live up to to all of those ideals we've made some we've made progress but we're still mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of like the bible like i said we're we're, we're we're doing that as well with the word of god oh, that's a great analogy because it's so true that you know we're trying to live up to the ideals of the bible and the principles of the bible but we mm-hmm. all fall short just like our country is trying to live up to the ideals and the principles of the united states constitution and we fall short. I mean, we see it. We see it in the news. We fall short. I, I mean, I'll I'll be the first to admit that you know, black Americans, a lot a lot of uh, blacks in the early part of the stages of this country know some of the things that were written in the founding documents. Uh, you know, they they didn't have those same liberties. Exactly. I'll be the first one to admit that. I mean, well, I won't. I say the first one. That sounds stupid and arrogant, I guess. But yeah, I'll admit that for sure. Well, I think it's history. I mean, it's historical. Yeah. Um, yeah. So another essay author wrote, "quote If you want to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation." End quote. Now, I I don't understand. I think I, I see what they're saying because a lot of in the beginning. Uh, a lot of the textiles and the agriculture um, was on, you know, sla- on the on the back of slaves. That's exactly. how it was produced. Yes. So I understand that, but I think when you lump in, when people lump in brutality, when they say words like brutality of American capitalism, if you want to understand it, um, it seems like they're plucking that out of context, and it's really it's a form of gaslighting, in my opinion. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like trying to set something on fire, and you're trying to pull two things out to do that. Yes, we did have that happen in our history uh, with cotton and with tobacco and with other other agricultural commodities, but 
it's equating it to today. I think that's what the, the author of the essay is doing, is trying to equate it with today. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And, and when you look at, at today, uh, you know, there are, there are business owners and they have people that work for them. And the business owners uh, direct the people that are underneath them. But there, but there are protection clauses mm -hmm. uh, in in our labor laws mm -hmm. and things nowadays. Uh, our our workers do have rights uh, under the law. Uh, we all enter into agreements, and and, and the, the difference here, the difference here too, is you have to remember uh, these early slaves were brought over uh, against their will That's right. and forced to work against their will. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays, uh, you know, we, we have, I guess, right to work. I mean, you, you, you're not entering in against your will mm -hmm. and, and you can, you can get out of it anytime you want, mm -hmm. whereas maybe a slave couldn't. So, right. so there are differences. There are. Yeah. So uh, a third essay author stated, quote, America holds on to an undemocratic assumption from its founding that some people deserve more power than others. We'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. And then finally, for this discussion today, another essay author said, quote, slavery gave America a fear of black people and a taste for violent punishment. Both still defined our prison system, end quote. So, General, you got to be careful in any situation making specific, making statements that are that are true and specific in certain specific situations, in certain specific lives, in certain specific situations, and making those general. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Taking a specific and making it generalized. Exactly. Once again. Are, is that true in specific situations in specific people's lives? Yeah, there's some things in there that are true. But I think also uh, there are things about that. That's not true in every single case. Yeah, and we're, we're going to touch on some of that in, in just a few minutes. And so when you get through the the, the snippets of quotes taken out of uh, these essays and, and presented in this New York Times online article, they concluded with a couple of statements. And one of them is this, that a re-education is necessary. Most Americans still don't know the full story of slavery. This is the history you don't learn in school. Another statement says, we are committing educational malpractice while slavery is mistaught and worse in American schools. And then, um, you know, something interesting about this is that that's the New York Times article, okay? Okay, that's the New York that's Times. That's what we've yeah. been talking about this whole time. Right. So when you go to project1619.org, this is the original Project 1619 founded by Calvin Pearson. Okay. And when you go to that website, he makes this disclaimer. Quote, in August, the New York Times produced a magazine article and podcast on their views on Project 1619 and its afterlife. Project 1619, Inc. was not consulted or involved in their production. Project 1619, Inc. does not support or endorse their opinions. Okay. Remember in the very beginning, I said there seems to be some disagreement about what Project 1619 really is. Yeah. And this is the founder. 
This is the founder. Of the actual Project 1619 project. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I, we all know that news is written to sell newspapers. Mm -hmm. And we've also learned that news is created, unfortunately, nowadays to influence opinion mm -hmm. or to, and to push a narrative. And so I accept, you know, if I accept that at face value. If he says it doesn't reflect his opinions, then, or their opinions, I accept that. Yeah, so Pearson's, he, he says that the objective, the whole objective to Project 1619 is to correct the footnotes of history that has been inaccurate about the first slaves and Africans. Okay. That's how it was born. Okay. That's what the purpose and the intent of Project 1619 is. And that's good. Yeah. That's great intention. Yeah, because if something's been incorrect, uh, then we could benefit from corrections exactly. from the actual truth. Yeah, exactly. And so what we have here, just like in the case of critical race theory, which we talked about uh, on another podcast, we have the original ideology behind two very important topics. Number one, sy uh, systemic racism in America under CRT. And number two, the history of slavery in America under Project 1619. And those two original ideas are being hijacked by radical activists with their own agendas attempting to use these two critical areas of much-needed reform. Yeah. No one's denying that we still need to work on these things. Yeah. But they're using these, these critical areas to divide Americans into two groups, black and white. To divide. To divide. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe you could say that. I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, as I, as we talk about this, I'm, I'm thinking it. I, the motives within the heart mm -hmm. of those radical, uh, what we're calling radical uh, activists, activists, yeah. I, I don't know for sure, but I can say that what is is happening is not healing. No. It's it's not bringing healing. It is bringing divisiveness. So I'd like to jump backwards a little bit and tackle the New York Times version, their version of Project 1619, and address some of the statements that they made by these authors of these essays. Now, I remember studying about slavery in high school. Do you? I do remember. And from my recollection, uh, there was nothing good taught about it. No. I distinctly remember seeing very gruesome photographs of yes. slaves that were beaten and, and tortured. I can still see whips. some of the pictures in my mind. Exactly. And we were told about the horrors that white owners committed against the slaves. From what I remember, yes. Yeah. And that included sexual assault, torture, lynching, and other horrific details. Yeah, okay. I, I would have to agree with that. And I don't know about you, but I remember feeling outraged at the time and deciding that I don't condone that kind of stuff. That's that's no, that's not right. No, I I, I, I felt the same way that right. it just wasn't right. And that was good enough for me. I think the objective was obtained. Uh, slavery and racism was and is evil. Mm -hmm. That was the objective of teaching the history behind slavery and racism in America, wasn't it? That slavery's evil. Uh, well, Racism's that was the, evil. the that was the lesson out of it. It was, you know, if they're just teaching history, you know, and say this is what happened, then we're left to draw our own conclusions about it. Right. You understand what I'm yeah. saying? But yeah, that was the de you know definitely 
the lesson that did come out of that to me and yeah. and to a lot of a lot of other people mm -hmm. now did that destroy racism no yeah. but uh you know to me the lesson came out that it that slavery was bad yeah and so it leaves it kind of leaves me scratching my head wondering how the school system needs to re-educate us on the truth about slavery i mean did our school stop teaching about slavery after we graduated uh oh no no. Oh no. I well, of course I haven't been in school in a long time, but I mean, if they did, yeah, but no. If they did stop, I would definitely see the need to teach about this dark part of, of American history. But if not, then what is causing all this renewed hostility towards the educational system? Not teaching enough, or not teaching the truth about it. Well, uh, like I said, if there were stories or or. Uh, parts of that that we're told that are untrue, mm -hmm. then let's correct them. Okay. But if there's another agenda, mm. now what we, what we have to keep in mind is maybe the agenda is not to correct. Maybe the agenda is, is to put forth an idea. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, an idea there uh, that is not being acted on. Yeah. Yes. And so you, you have to, you know, when we talk about if something has changed in the educational system where our children are not being taught about the ills of slavery, uh, which I, I believe that they are still being taught about in American history. Mm -hmm. um, so then you have to ask, well, all right, so is slavery still evil or did it somehow return unnoticed by the mass population of our diverse population? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Is that why that we need to reeducate because it's returned somehow? Or isn't racism still evil? Now, racism, racism is going to exist. I mean, because evil exists. Um, but I'm just wondering, is that it? Or what you said, is there an idea here? Is it more about suppressing the efforts of all those Americans, black, white, brown, Asian, Indian, you name it, who, who put into the efforts that they put into fundamentally changing the system and, and writing the past? Yeah. You know, you have uh, the truth of the matter is too is while there were the 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 doing away with slavery in our nation was a multicultural mm -hmm. move, mm -hmm. uh, very brave, educated, strong, and powerful uh, people and godly people from both from from all races. Mm -hmm you know, we're a part of doing away with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was a lot of work done by a lot of diverse individuals. There was a lot of work done by diverse individuals. And at that point in time, uh, and I know somebody may get mad at this, and I'm not saying this to make it mad. It's just a historical observation. At that point in time, many of the decision makers that could actually pull a lever to vote against slavery or to vote for slavery uh, were, were white Americans. Mm. And, and so it was a multi-cultural, mm -hmm. uh, you know, move to do away with this, where we could finally get to the place where we were living up to, to the ideals that were in our constitution, in our declaration, in our bill of rights. And so that every man could, could partake of those. Right. 
And so there was a lot of work done, and there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Oh, yeah. But it, but it has to be done together in unity if we really want to see change. Well, I think the the sad part is that, you know, we felt when we were younger, we were feeling like racism was slowly on a slow decline. Mm-hmm. You know, was right. it got, was it done away with? No, but it was on a it was. It was on life support, you know, that it was beginning to go away with. And we knew that as time went by, uh, we were hoping that would still that continue that decline. And what's been hurting my heart is in the last few years, it seems like racism is on the incline. I mean, it's growing. Seems like. Seems to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so you have to, I think you have to ask yourself why. Right. Or we as a people need to ask ourselves why. We need to be unified in our quest. We have to be unified. And, you know, shaming's not the answer. No. Gaslighting's not the answer. Violence is not the answer. Defunding the police is not the answer. Burning down cities and instituting anarchy is not the answer. There's really only one answer to the question of unification. We must learn to seek forgiveness as a nation. And we must learn how to forgive. Yeah, and, and you know there there are people out here listening today that have had a wrong done to them by someone, mm-hmm. and there's no way that that person can r- actually make a reparation for that. Or, or you, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you just can't. Yeah, can't get past it. Well, you you can't do anything to make it right. All you can do is say I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying slavery is one, uh, racism is one of those things, uh, but we know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so we're going to have to get to the place to where our forgiveness is real. And, and we're going to have to realize that some things we have to leave in our past, hopefully, yeah. and try to move forward. How do you move forward? Right. Well, that's the question. So here's how you move forward you recognize the issue. Mm-hmm. And then you take steps to correct the issue, and steps were taken, and steps are always being taken to correct racism. Steps were taken to correct slavery. A lot of work by a lot of diverse individuals corrected the solely past of America. So I think when you look at that, when you look at, okay, what's the first part of, of seeking forgiveness from someone? It's knowing what you did and changing the way that, that you're operating so that that never happens again, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. the process of, hey, I'm seeking forgiveness. I know what right. I did. I'm sorry. Right. And here's what I'm doing to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And I think when you look at it that way, then our nation has sought forgiveness. So then what is the, what's the, where's the issue coming from then? I think the the issue is being driven by redistribution or, re, or reparations. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I, I think that's probably uh, the the force that's driving a lot of what we're seeing right now. Mm. Okay, you know, uh, and uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, when I look at it, you know, and try to be objective about it. That's I, I wonder myself sometimes. I wonder, you know, 
can we, will we forgive? Can we forgive? Can we, can we begin to walk together? Can we open our hearts to really love each other To And, uh, you know, that's a God thing. That's a God thing. It has to happen, yeah, but supernatural, but yeah. when that's not enough, mm-hmm. I begin to wonder, you know, where are we? And I think, you know, some of the other things may be driving what's going on now. Well, and you said it's a God thing. So true forgiveness is a supernatural gift. And we can't really truly forgive without the power of the Holy Spirit. No, you can't. Not true forgiveness. Not true forgiveness. And so, you know, it, it appears the nation has sought forgiveness and it's done its very best to reconcile and to correct the past. And uh, there's still a lot of work to do. We know that. We're not saying that we're perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But if you look at it, the vast majority of Americans believe that racism is evil. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of Americans know the past atrocities of slavery in our country. And I would venture to say that the vast majority of Americans realize that during the founding of this country, many of the founding fathers were slave owners, and some of them were not very nice. Right. Okay? And so we've learned so much from and about U.S. history. How could anyone deny the evils of both racism and slavery? No one can. Yeah. No one can deny the evils of it, unless you're evil. Well, yeah, and I would agree with that unless there's some evil lurking in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so then it comes down to, okay, so there are, are there some inaccuracies or omissions in the historical record? Sure. Yeah. You can't write down everything. Yeah, I would say that's probably correct. Yeah. Okay. But you have to ask yourself, what is the overall outcome and the overall objective? To teach our children that racism and slavery are wrong or to teach our children that everything in America boils down to white versus black. So if you're white, then you're automatically part of an evil team. That seems to be the some of the agenda items. Well, I can just tell you this, okay? Um, gosh, there's, this is a multi-layered issue, and mm-hmm. we've talked about some of the layers today, but not haven't touched on all of them. But there will never be unity and you will never get to the place where you have one people when you see when one sees the other as evil. Exactly. Wh- whichever way that goes. Right. Either way. You, it, it will never work. Yeah. You'll never have true unity, and you'll never have true forgiveness, mm-hmm. and you'll never uh, be able to walk forward as a unified people. And so, if we're teaching that our children, if that's part of the uh, the curriculum or the agenda. Um, to teach our children that everything in America boils down to white versus black. Um, and if you're white, then you're part of, you know, something evil. Then you know what happens if you repeatedly tell a child that they're dumb or they're stupid or they're not worth anything? No, well, eventually they're going to believe it if, if you're, a, you know, if you're a, a, a person of influence in their life. Yeah. Right. They eventually believe it. So if we're telling our children that their race, which they have zero control over, determines their future and we continually point back to the evils of racism and slavery, what message is that sending? I mean, to me, it sounds like we're sending a message that white children should be ashamed of being white and black children should be furious at them. You know, I do think that rhetoric is out there. Yeah. Well, we know it from the New York And I'm not, look, once again, we talked about the dangers of making specifics general. Mm -hmm. There is no way everyone feels that way. Oh, no. No way. That is a lie. But there are 
people out there that, that I do think b- believe that. Well, we've heard the terms white shaming. We've heard the terms white privilege. We've heard the terms white guilt. We've heard of all those terms, and those terms didn't just come out of a vacuum. Mm-hmm. They came from somewhere. So, yes, you're right. And, you know, once again, let's don't get lost on what we're talking about. We're trying to talk, we're talking a little bit about healing the nation mm-hmm. and, and steps that can go forward toward that. I'm, I'll be the first one to admit, you know, there are white people out there that are racist, and I yep. hear it, and they don't trust people of other races, and they think that inherently those people have something wrong with them. You know, whether it's evil or they can't trust them or whatever. Right. You know, that goes that that goes every direction. Mm-hmm. But if but remember, we're talking about what's going to take us forward into healing. Right. And, and I don't want anybody to be um, confused about our positions on this. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. There were atrocities. Uh, committed in the forming of our of our nation and have been down through the years have been down through the years and absolutely racism exists yeah and and that is not biblical Uh, that is not love that is not what god is all about god created the human race he loves the humans so there really is only one race it's the human race and he loves us yeah when we're not loving each other uh like the lord loves us we're falling short yeah and which which is the definition of sin. Exactly. And so what we have to be careful about is on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the issue, it doesn't matter which side we follow. We have to be careful about what we're reading on face value and not digging any deeper into that. Because if you look at the New York Times Project 1619 article that, that says it's trying to reframe our history, then you look at the statements that have been made in that article, and you, you start to see an ulterior, or an ulterior motive and, and an agenda coming forth. And, and remember what we said: the founder of Project sixteen nineteen, he said that did not, that was not what their desire was exactly. through Project sixteen nineteen. We're talking about uh, some people trying to interject, uh, hijack something, for lack of a better term, and interject their, their own agenda into it. Exactly. And, you know, when, we, when we're teaching children, uh, <laughs> when, we're, when we're teaching children that there is a difference between people, that there's a difference between this person and this person, you know, they didn't know that until we taught that to them. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> They don't know that until you teach that to them. So we're teaching them there's a difference between this this segment of people and this segment of people. Isn't that the that's the opposite of what the objectives are for teaching about racism and slavery? Well, you know, our kids, I mean, kids are kids. And, and of course, a child, a young child can tell the difference uh, in skin tones of races and things like that. And very innocently, they may point those differences out. But uh, you know, it's our job as those who are put to be guardians and guy and leaders and directors of their life to to downplay those differences mm-hmm. and say that's not what's important, mm-hmm. uh, and to teach them you know the ways of God. I mean, yeah, I understand what you're saying. They don't. 
that we have to teach them the differences. Right. And, and, and I agree. I mean, yes, they can see differences, I mean, that are produced by nature. But, uh, you know, as far as skin tone or the different things, but, but we teach them. We are the ones that teach them, yes, you know, those differences are profound and you can't trust other people that are different from you or we teach them. Those differences are inconsequential, mm-hmm. and every God has created everyone loves each other, and we should love them too. That's right. That's right. And you know the reason that we need to be teaching our children those things is because we want the next generation to do better than our generation did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. racism, I believe, at its core, is taught. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I, I do. You know, it's like, like I said, you can. If you've never seen a person of another race, you can look at them and see the difference between you and them and begin to, you know, talk about those differences. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't create racism, though. What creates racism is where we start talking about uh, the differences in character and and motive between each other. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's what begins to create racism. And division. And division. And division. So, and mistrust. Right, exactly. And so through this whole educational part, uh, this, this re-educating, what it, what it actually looks like it's trying to do is it's pitting Americans against Americans. And isn't that the tactic of the enemy, to divide and conquer? Well, of course we know that. Yeah. So who's the enemy? And what's the ultimate goal of dividing America? I mean, what, ex- what exactly is being conveyed in the New York Times article when it says America holds on to an undemocratic assumption from its founding that some people deserve more power than others? Does that mean America as a whole or some Americans? Because if you're saying that America as a whole thinks this way, aren't you stereotyping all Americans? And doesn't that include yourself? So in our founding from the very beginning, mm-hmm. There's an assumption that some people deserve more than others. That's, that's what the statement from New York Times article says. Is that in our documents anywhere? No. Um, last time I checked. In our documents now. I'm not talking about in, our, you know, in the way that we've lived that we're trying to correct through the power of the Holy Spirit and right. through things, but in our documents. Yeah, and so the last time I checked, America has a system of electing representatives, doesn't it? Yes. Okay. Uh, Not based on whether they deserve to be in power or not, but based on whether or not they have the majority of the votes. Isn't that the democratic process? You think, right? Yeah. Okay. So then you hear the opposition talk about, well, what about voter suppression? What What exactly does that mean? And when you have those, this is another gaslighting term. So when you have someone say, oh, it's voter suppression, what what you visualize is it sounds like a bunch of people standing guard in front of an election site, not allowing certain types of people in to vote. Yeah, and I know the pe- people out there that talk about that. That's not what they mean. They mean other things, uh, other types of suppression. And there has been voter suppression in the United States and places in the past. There's no yes, doubt right. about no that. No doubt about it. But, you know, though, once again, that's something that has been worked on quite a bit and is still, uh, I would say, Hopefully, a lot of it's been removed out of our country. Yeah, yeah, we pray that it has. Yeah. And so what voter suppression actually means is that some people believe that polling places are placed intentionally in areas that limit access to minorities. 
That's, that's a form of voter suppression. That polling times are intentionally determined based on limiting access to vote by minorities. That's what they believe voter suppression is. And people who hold this idea of this massive systemic voter suppression, they believe that the only way to remove is the ability for everyone to vote from home using mail-in ballots. Okay? Mm -hmm. Follow me here. And this is the real agenda behind the so-called voter suppression movement. I know I'm, I'm trailing off here on something different, but it's all interconnected. Because if everyone is allowed to cast their ballot from home without any safeguards to ensure that only registered and qualified citizens of the United States are allowed to cast ballots, then the system can be manipulated. That's always been the fear right. uh, of, of what could happen if you, if you move that direction. Okay. And so when the system is manipulated, mm -hmm. then that would constitute an undemocratic mentality, placing people in positions of power because they deserve it, not because they were voted in. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Here, here's the problem that that we're trying to to address is the same folks who are bringing the 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 activists that are taking original ideas and they're hijacking them uh, to to create an agenda of their own. These are the same one. These are the same people. And I'm not saying black people, white people. I'm not saying anything because everybody is a diverse group. I mean, Antifa is a diverse group. Mm -hmm. um, and so these same people seek to, to, to use these, these issues like voter suppression in order to manipulate the voting process. And isn't that the undemocratic mentality where you're putting people in power not because they're voted for it, but because they deserve it? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you're saying that America is operating out of an undemocratic mentality that some deserve power more than others, do you not include President Obama or Senator John Lewis? Or what about Vice President Kamala Harris mm -hmm. or Senator Cory Booker and other powerful American African-American representatives who are success stories of democracy? Mm -hmm. Are you saying they were not voted in, that they were placed into power? Yeah. I mean, because you can't have it both ways. Right. Right, I understand what you're saying. I mean, did they win their elections uh, or not? Yeah, I I get offended uh, sometimes a little bit by by this uh, uh, thought process uh, that um, that that centers back on that you know, uh, African-American uh, brothers and sisters can't, uh, you know, rise to the top on their own. Mm. And, I, you know, we've seen that. There's no doubt that in places there have been roadblocks, blockages to that, and those have been are being systematically removed. Mm -hmm. But I get offended by that because, to me, um, it discounts the power of God at work mm -hmm. in their life, mm -hmm. and it discounts their own abilities that mm -hmm. they have. And uh, so, you know, I've seen, and I think in, in our history, and I'm not saying uh, that we've reached the pinnacle of where we need to be yet, but I do, I do think that we have seen many, many uh, rise uh, because of their own ability, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to to high places, and and you know that's 
awesome. I think, you know, everybody enjoys seeing that. I'm, I could really care less about the color of a person's skin. I want to know what's in their heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. And so we want, we want good people and godly people and people that love this country to rise to the top, regardless of where they come from That's right. and what ethnicity they are. And that is the meaning of the pursuit of life or, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of whatever it is. I'm, I'm pulling a, a, a something here. So anyway. Um, and finally, can we say that slavery gave America fear of black people and taste for violent punishment that still operates in our prison system. Can we really say that? I mean, gave America as a whole or some Americans is America as a whole fearful of black people and the result can be seen in the prison system or are some Americans fearful of black people? Because if all Americans are fearful of black people, isn't that stereotyping and doesn't that include African-Americans? Are African-Americans scared of black people? Ooh, this is a multi-leveled issue. That's what I'm saying. There, there, there's like... a lot of, of levels to this. Uh, uh, are, are, you, know, you could ask the question, are some people afraid of black people? I would say, yeah, there are. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but, would you, but would you use the term that slavery gave all of America a fear of black people and a taste for violent punishment both still define our prison system today. Slavery gave America a fear of black people. Gee whiz. Uh, I, I don't know about that. Right. Well, you that's know. the statement of the New York Times uh, in the New York Times article. Now, there, was, there were fears of slave revolts back in the back in the old days old you know before slavery was done away with but uh you know uh most of those came uh, you know most of that fear of black people i think came out of ignorance mm -hmm. and racism on the part of white people right and i think that a lot of those beliefs we've been reeducated and and re and our hearts have been regenerated you know, to a large, to a, in a large part of the population. Mm -hmm. um, um, I could say more, but I'm not going to. So, so getting back to this, because <laughs> it's idea, a multi-level -le issue. Uh, I'm gonna, let me add some more layers onto it. So, yeah. does that mean our prisons are using violence against black prisoners because the guards have a taste for violent punishment? Does that include all guards or just some guards? All prisons are just some prisons. Once again, you got to be careful. All cops making specific general, generalizations. All judges are some judges. You see what I'm getting here? And, and you know, it's like we, uh, you know, I have a little bit of trouble uh, with the, you know, there's a fear of black people, so they're trying to put them all in jail, lock them all up. I, I've got a little bit of a problem with that. I mean, um, that's that's a uh, that's never going to happen, you know. I mean, God forbid we ever come to the place we lock people up based on their skin color. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, now I know somebody saying, "Well, they are be." Somebody just said thought in their mind, "Well, they are being locked up because of their skin color," uh, and that could be true in some specific situations. But I'm talking about generally in our nation. Yeah, in isolated incidents, I mean, in isolated parts of our country, it could it could happen, and it has happened, and it may continue to happen. But as a as a whole, as a generalized statement, to put all of Americans into this one lump, 
Yeah. And say that all Americans are now fearful of black people because of slavery and that we all have a taste for violent punishment and it's all and that is so that it's visible in today's prison systems. I, I think that is the part that that is opposed by true Americans who believe in freedom, who believe in equal rights, who are not racist, who are not slavery deniers, who pursue unification. I think that that's why they're so opposed to CRT and Project 1619, not the original ideologies behind them. They're not opposed to those, but they're opposed to the, to the hijacked, twisted versions of them that seek to divide America rather than to continue down the path of unification. Mm-hmm. You see, you hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what does the real Project 1619 say? I'm going to read some text from their website, project1619.org, that describes the true intent of the project. Here it is, quote, In 1619, the first Africans who were captured from Angola were taken to Point Comfort, today's Fort Monroe in Hampton, Virginia. They were sold for food. Slavery was not legal in the colony when they arrived. It would not become legal until 1661. So how were the first 20 and odd Africans treated? They were treated as indentured servants, but without a written contract. Because they did not have a contract, their freedom was at the mercy of their plantation owner. Most of the first Africans had to work 15 to 30 years before their freedom was granted. Once their freedom was granted, they were able to start their own homesteads, marry white and Native Americans, purchase the freedom of their family relatives, own land, and enjoy the fruits of limited freedom. The first 40 years in Virginia was not typical of the next 200 years when slavery became legal. Slavery is a stain on America's soul, but let's not denigrate the legacy of Africans in America by calling them all slaves. Slave is a noun. Slavery was a condition. Our ancestors were humans and were subject to the brutal condition of slavery. Today, the descendants of those first Africans are proud of their heritage. Let's promote 400 years of achievement. We built this country. Now, that's off the Project 1619 website. The original founder. Okay. Mr. Pearson. And it's a pretty stark contrast to the, to the New York Times version of Project 1619. All right. You see? You see? Mm-hmm. Um, African Americans were major contributors in many ways in building the colonies and becoming a nation. And they will always be uh, major contributors. And I don't want to, I'm not separating people into, into categories. I'm saying that uh, I'm using their terminology. Mm-hmm. So I think that promoting those contributions and achievements and telling their stories is the only way to approach this dark history of ours when it comes to slavery and racism. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, isn't our hope and prayer that all Americans recognize the evil of slavery and racism? Well, I yes. God, I hope so. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also that our hope and prayer is that we can all work together to make the necessary changes in order to ensure that racism, whether it's systemic or not, doesn't operate in our governments, our corporations, our educational systems, our health care, our small businesses, or any other system. Right. We've said it before. Will racism ever be completely eradicated out of the United States? Yeah, probably not completely. Not until the return of Jesus. Right. So how are we supposed to react to these recurring fluctuations and societal upheavals that involve race, gender, sexual orientation, and all these other cultural and social injustice issues? 
I mean, what is God? What is, who is God in all of this? Well, God is the God of justice. He's the original justice warrior. He is. He really, he really is. is. Um, you can find it in the Bible. Psalm 82.3 says, Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute." And he, he says again in Isaiah 117, God says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor. So you give justice and you uphold the rights of the oppressed. You seek justice and you rebuke the rebuke, rebuke easy for me to say, mm-hmm. rebuke the oppressor. These are commandments given by the creator of human existence. Yes. Yeah. So does the United does the history of the United States contain periods where African-Americans and Native Americans and Asian-Americans and Mexican-Americans and Japanese-Americans, does it contain periods where they've been oppressed? It does. It does. Does this oppression continue? That's the real question here. You know, and you're going to have a lot of people say, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would say in, in areas, I would agree with you. In areas. In areas, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, but I think the vast majority of, of America and the systems in America do not operate out of oppression. I forgot to add women in here, by the way. Yeah. I forgot to add women. Yeah, that's important, too. Mm-hmm. And so, is it okay for Christians to speak out against social justice issues? Oh, we should. Yes. As long as we're operating under the governing authorities and we're not breaking the laws of the land, would you agree with that? I think we need uh, to work within the systems that we have. Uh, And if the systems are not good, yes, we need to change them. But, or change out the people. You know, I don't know if our system is as much broken as some of the people are broken that are in the system. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and is I think if we the system if we get the right people in the places, yeah, it, it'll work. Mm-hmm. And so, as as far as speaking out as Christians, speaking out is rebuking. Yeah, that's how you rebuke. Burning down cities and establishing these no policing zones, and stealing from others, committing violence—that's not operating under the governing authorities, and it's not abiding by the rules. As a matter of fact, violence is not. There's no form of rebuking that that includes violence because violence is seeking vengeance yeah uh, you know two wrongs don't make a right that's that's the old way the old folks used to say it yeah but you you know if you want god's blessing on you when you're trying to right a wrong then you better do it his way that's right uh, the Bible says in Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you lay down and you just turn a blind eye. He doesn't say that at all. Yeah. Uh, but we, do our, we are to speak out, and we should. I think that that's a commandment. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. All right. So a believer can't really engage in... in Interactions where violence and property damage incur because that's in stark contradiction contradiction to what the Bible teaches. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, you know, it's kind of tough, but when you think about it, and the Apostle Paul wrote to, you know, slavery was rampant mm-hmm. uh, in the world long before there was an America. That's right. 
And, you know, the, I, when I was in uh, school, and that's been a while ago, but they used to tell us that probably three-fourths of the world at that point in time was under some type of slavery, either an indentured servant to somebody or an actual slave to someone. And the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, he didn't, when he was talking to people that were slaves, he didn't say, hey, now let's, do, let's have a slave revolt. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he encouraged the slaves uh, to, to act out of the tenets of, of God, to act out of the character of God, and that the belief that God would do the changing mm-hmm. in the society. He would do the avenging. He would, he would create the avenues within society that would bring about change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if you're asking then, all right, so... Other than speaking out, are there other ways that believers can protest social injustice issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you can you can protest peacefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can, uh, of course, we talked about voting. That's uh, that's you can uh, propose. You know, there are lots of things that you can do as an as an as American citizen that you don't you're not even aware of because. Uh, I don't know that everybody wants you to be aware of it, but you know you can uh, propose. There, there are ways that you can propose. Actually, propose legislation in your legislative bodies. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of things that, that can be done. Well, you can become involved in local government, yeah, in city council, exactly. school boards. Uh, we need more believers in political positions, and I know some are saying I hate. Politicians, they're nothing but a bunch of liars. Well, I mean, be the change. Exactly. Get involved. Because uh, social injustice will continue as long as good people stand by and they don't do anything. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, one of the crucial ways to react to social injustices, no matter what side of the issue you're on, is to be informed. You know, I think that the challenge that that we have as believers is the pressure that, and this pressure goes across the, the ethnic spectrum, Mm -hmm. the pressure that we get from others of our own group. And I've got my quotation marks going, Mm -hmm. you know, the pressure that, that, uh, to stand up for, for what's right for the Bible and, and to break out a group think, uh, and stand up for what's right. Mm -hmm. It's going to take people that, care enough about the truth that are willing to break I don't mean hate and turn your back on but I mean break out of, uh, of long lines of thinking unbiblical thinking that's been passed down in all ethnicities ethnic groups mm-hmm. for years and years to, to break out of that and make a stand for the truth and when we do that guess what it draws uh, us all together Unifies. It unifies us around Jesus. That's right. Mm-hmm. Because he, he, you know, his ways are very are very clear. Mm-hmm. People yeah. that muddy his ways and try to make them uh, hard to understand, they're they're just not. Yeah. His ways are very simple, and they're only accomplished through the Holy Spirit. But but it draws people together. Mm-hmm. I look at the. I, that's why I think the church. Somebody's going to say, well, the church has been part of racism for years. Yeah, the church has been used down through the years to propagate racism. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But I think the church, the believers in Jesus Christ, are the answer to this racism problem. 
Yeah. I really, I really believe that Jesus is the answer. I believe it yeah. because once we begin to draw together, we pull away from all this group think, and mm-hmm. we begin to pull together around the truth, mm-hmm. and we begin to love each other. That's that's the solution. Yeah, it is. And so I think also trailing backward on that being informed. I mean, that means when activists begin to quote things as fact, um, we need to check it out. Mm-hmm. When you hear something that doesn't that you've never heard before, rather than jumping on the bandwagon, check it out. Make sure. Don't just believe what they say and then start quoting it too. I mean, that's what that's what a lot of Christians do about the Bible. They hear somebody say something and they think that's out of the Bible. And so that instead of going and, and researching it and looking it up for themselves, they begin espousing it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So um, look it up, research it, look at all the sides before you make a determination, whether it's fact or fiction. So be a Berean, do your due diligence. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, fact checking, that gets us kind of down this road with the media. <laughs> <laughs> because I think the main issue with the media is that they're making it up as they go along. Fact checking, guys, uh, you're going to have to be careful. Uh, because right now we have this big push in our country uh, to police ideas and thoughts that is extremely dangerous. There are a lot of ideas and thoughts out there I don't agree with. But if we start instituting thought and idea police Mm -hmm. out there, Mm -hmm. then we are going to be at the mercy of whoever those police are. That's right. Okay. Whoever, yeah, whoever's going to control the flow of information, Mm -hmm. somebody's going to control that. And somebody is going to decide what is good and what is bad. So who are those people going to be? We already see it. We see that. We see it right now. And there are things that are said out there that to me, I just think, man, I don't agree with that at all. But if we're going to have a free a country of free discourse and free thoughts and ideas, uh, then you're going to have to put up with some stuff that you don't agree with. Yeah, you are. But uh, my, it's more scary to me to have a set of police deciding what is true and what's not true. That's very scary. Oh, mm. yeah. And so you, we, we talk about the media and how, you know, I said they're making it up as they go along. You know, both liberal and conservative media groups engage in, in this type of news generation because they generate the news. Another word for generate is make it up. They generate the news versus reporting it. So don't be deceived. Do your due diligence. So, all right, so we need to wrap it up. So Project 1619, is it good? Is it bad? Indifferent? I think it's like everything else these days. The original intent behind its formation was to correct the footnotes of history when talking about slavery and the contributions of African-Americans and forming what America is today. But then there's the hijacked version that sets out to divide us. Mm-hmm. That's the same, same thing when we talked about critical race theory. So how do you know which one is which? Which is the original, which is the hijacked version? You got to research it. You do. You have to. You have to know for yourself. And mm-hmm. it's not enough just to listen to somebody else's idea. Right. You you need to to research it for yourself. Right. And so for those who who hung around um, 
and and you say and you're listening and you say well these are that's great but these are two white guys sitting here talking about critical race theory and, and talking about project 1619 well uh, i've got some news for you i'm not white you're not mm -hmm. white not white well well that's wonderful mm -hmm. that's great mm -hmm. yeah so oh, man that's I, you know, I don't, I don't know what I am. Mm -hmm. For years, we were told by my, by my family that we were predominantly American Indian, and then mm -hmm. I had one of those DNA tests done, and I didn't have one ounce <laughs> of American <laughs> Indian, no American Indian in me. But and one other thing I would say in response to what Pastor Paul is saying: be real careful about discounting a messenger just because of the color of their skin. That's Isn't right. that racism as well? It is. It really is. Yeah. And so with that, uh, we're done with this episode. Well, you know. We it's been went a tough one. Yeah, a little over an hour, uh, but I hope you enjoyed it out there. And, and uh, you know, if you don't agree with us on everything, hey, that's cool. You know, this is America, and, uh, and you know, you have the right to disagree and the freedom to do so. Um, I'm not trying to espouse a, a pet agenda. Uh, you know, the Lord has dealt with me all my life and still deals with me in that area. I, I really want the kingdom of God mm -hmm. to be to to be formulated in people's hearts and in their lives. Right. And and so uh, if I said something today or we said something that you don't agree with, you know, research it, re read into it uh, for yourself, and uh, and know that uh, uh, no matter if we don't agree with each other, you know, we respect you and love you. That's right. That's right. Well. Um, you know, the one thing I, the one takeaway that I've got out of our discussion is something that you said you brought out about how the constitution and the ideals that our country was founded on is like the Bible. It, it's the Bible is a picture of how the kingdom should operate. And does the kingdom operate like that here on earth? No, it does not, not. completely, not no. completely, but we are as Christians and believers are trying to improve and, and improve upon those ideals. And I think America as a nation does the same thing when it comes to uh, the Constitution and the founding documents. I, I agree with you. You know, uh, you, you have to remember our country is still relatively young. Mm -hmm. I think on July the 4th, I think I read our country will be 245 years old. It's young. Well, you know, you have to understand that Groups, people can live, uh, you know, 70, 80, sometimes 100 years. And so, you know, if you've got prejudiced people, uh, you know, they could live a long time mm -hmm. in this society. And then they pass those prejudices sometimes onto their own children. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about for prejudice to really begin to go away, it's going to take a couple, it's going to take three to four generations. And so, you know, we're on target as Americans uh, we've had a, some bad in our founding, uh, in people, our founding, I'm not going to say there was bad in our documents or anything, but, but, but as people we've failed, mm -hmm. we have failed a lot. Uh, but we're, you know, three, three generations or four, you know, about three or so generations into this and we're making progress fast. That's the key. We're making 
progress. We're making progress. We're making so let's progress. be encouraged. And let's not go backwards. Right. Let's don't go backwards. Exactly. All right. Well, we love you guys. Love God you. bless you. And remember to stay alert, to stay in the word, and be not deceived. See you next